Welcome to Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner, brought to you by the American Society of Retina Specialists. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Murray, coming to you from Miami. On each episode, we'll bring you inspiring conversations about your sight and the special role the retina plays in making healthy vision possible. We'll hear from expert retina specialists, as well as directly from patients about living life to the fullest with retinal disease. Join us and learn how to safeguard your retina health for life. Welcome to the American Society of Retina Specialists, Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner. On this episode, we're going to talk about age-related macular degeneration or AMD. And we're going to focus on some of the new therapies that are on the horizon for us to be able to treat our patients and our families better. To discuss this exciting topic, I'm happy to welcome one of the leading researchers and an outstanding retina specialist and a friend and colleague, Dr. Peter Kaiser from the Cole Eye Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Kaiser. Thank you, Dr. Murray. Happy to be here. So, so Peter, you've really been leading much of the research related to um, macular degeneration, both the neovascular or wet macular degeneration and also the atrophic and dry macular degeneration. Can you give me some idea of, of what's really brought you to that focus and that interest um, over the last several decades? Sure. You know, macular degeneration, both the wet and dry forms, are the leading cause of blindness worldwide. And prior to coming into practice, there was very little treatment for the wet form of macular degeneration. And we, we certainly have developed some excellent forms of treatment in the, in the form of anti-VEGF or vascular endothelial growth factor injections. Uh, and this has really revolutionized the treatment of wet macular degeneration. When we look at dry macular degeneration, even this is the more common form of macular degeneration, the late form of the dry form, which we call geographic atrophy, unfortunately currently has no treatments. And so you can imagine a lot of research is going into two things. One, improving our treatments for wet, but number two, for just developing any form of treatment that could help our patients with the late dry form of macular degeneration. So Peter, um, since we're, we're talking to our patients and their families, can you kind of take us through what the, what the staging is for macular degeneration? Because some people hear that they have drusen and they wonder what that means. And some people are told that they have dry macular degeneration or wet macular degeneration or geographic atrophy. How do we counsel our patients to better understand what they, what they have and what that means for them? I think this is a very important question that you're asking, Dr. Murray. So when you get diagnosed with macular degeneration, it's very important to understand which form you're being diagnosed with. The more common form, about 85% of patients will have what's called a dry form. And a dry form is characterized by drusen, which are little yellow deposits that we see looking into your eye. It's not something you'll see looking out. Uh, but we see it when we do a, a clinical exam inside the eye. And in general, dry macular degeneration actually does not lead to vision loss. And that's important for patients as well as families to understand. The majority of patients actually will not lose vision. 
Now, the dry form can progress in terms of having deterioration with some of the cells that are within the retina, specifically what we call the RPE. And this is the outer cells of the retina that kind of nourishes the retina. And as those cells deteriorate, sometimes you can develop what's called geographic atrophy. And this is the late form of dry matter that I just mentioned. We currently do not have a treatment. Anywhere where there's atrophy, you can think of that as a, a basically taking a piece of film and using a hole punch on that film. And you, then you develop that film, you're going to have a black spot in the picture. And that's sort of how patients with geographic atrophy would see. They'll have these black blind spots within their vision that kind of follow them anywhere they look. Um, and that area, that geographic atrophy area, slowly increases in size. So developing a treatment to, number one, prevent atrophy altogether or to prevent that atrophy from getting larger is something we're looking at for the dry form. Peter, though, that, that you focused on something that I think people don't necessarily hear on their first visits, that Having a diagnosis of drusen or early macular degeneration may never impact their vision in a negative way. And I, I think we need to really stress that. Um, how do you discuss that with your patients, that component, when you see patients early in, in the disease and they're really fearful that they could go blind rapidly? Yeah, this is a very terrifying diagnosis. Many patients may have had, uh, had family members, may have had parents who lost vision from macular degeneration because macular degeneration does have a genetic component. So they get very worried when they hear, hey, you have macular degeneration. Should I sell my car? Should I learn to read Braille? And the answer to all these questions is, is no. You know, in general, most patients are gonna do very, very well, gonna live a comfortable life with excellent vision throughout their lives. Now, as retina specialists, we look very carefully into your eyes and we look for different features. And the features we're looking at will tell us sort of what is your particular risk of developing a more rapid progression. Uh, and these are patients we're probably gonna look at more closely. We're gonna follow more closely. But understand that for anybody diagnosed with dry macular degeneration, they should be using some high-dose vitamin supplementation. And this is something you should really discuss with your retina specialist because you want to know what form of this high-dose vitamin therapy you should be on and should you actually be on it. Now, the reason I say that is because in the really early forms of macular degeneration, when you, know, you really don't have much in the way of changes, sometimes we would not recommend it. So this is why having at least an annual eye exam to evaluate how you are doing is very important. So Peter, I think that's important also to tell our patients is that we're seeing them to, to evaluate them and we use very advanced imaging so that we can classify their, their, their individual retina presentation to us. But just as important is our ability to reassure them that there's been no change or to suggest that maybe there's a concern and we would want to put them on vitamin therapy or we'd want to see them more early or to re-counsel them about what signs and symptoms are for that. So I don't think we always talk enough about that. Um, but you had just talked about the dry and atrophic type, and we're leading to talking about wet macular degeneration. Could you give us an update on that also? So always the dry form is first. You, you start with the dry form, and that may or may not progress to the wet form of macular degeneration. And the wet form is characterized by the growth of new blood vessels 
from underneath the retina into the retina. And these blood vessels aren't like your regular blood vessels. They're more like a leaky garden hose. And so they leak out fluid, they leak out blood, and this causes the retina to become distorted. In general, wet macular degeneration is symptomatic. So patients will notice a change in vision when they develop wet macular degeneration. The world may appear, appear distorted, lines may appear crooked, may be difficult to read. And that's because this new blood vessel is what is causing damage. Now, without treatment, wet macular degeneration leads to permanent loss of central vision. Now, thankfully, we have many good treatments for the wet form of macular degeneration. And this has really been allowing us to either maintain and in some cases actually improve visual acuity in patients with wet macular degeneration. But if you're diagnosed with wet macular degeneration, it's imperative that you are seeking treatment as soon as possible because the earlier we treat the wet form, the better the outcomes. And one of the things, Peter, we emphasize here is that you need a retina specialist to be able to evaluate and treat you appropriately at least to the standard that you and I feel is most critical. So some of our patients are like, can my, um, my doctor that does my contact lenses or my doctor that does my glasses or my general ophthalmologist, can they treat me? And really for us, the gold standard of therapy and the evaluation would be a retina specialist. And that's one of the things we want our patients to understand. Yeah, I would agree. You know, we've, we've seen a lot of what are called real world studies where we look at basically the Medicare database to see how patients' visions do on average. And not all those patients are treated by retina specialists. And the um, unfortunate thing is usually we see in those real world studies under treatment, uh, incorrect treatment. And to us, that's one of the reasons why you, you go to a specialist, because this is a problem that requires very particular expertise in terms of deciding when do you need the treatment, what should we use for the treatment, and how often should you receive the treatment. So that's kind of the bread and butter, I think, of retina. And you and I trained during a period where the anti-VEGF injection therapies were really coming into their own. But you've also been incredibly involved with some of the novel therapies. So maybe take us through what you think are maybe three or four of, of the most exciting um, alternative treatments available for us that are coming down the pathway for wet macular degeneration. Well, the key thing with wet macular degeneration is it requires an injection into the eye, which sounds horrible, but it's not. And the reason it's not is because unlike a flu shot, where we just give you the shot into your arm, we obviously can't do that to a person's eye. So we numb the eye up completely. And in fact, the majority of patients, if not all patients, don't feel the injection whatsoever. So this is, although it sounds scary, uh, is not. And if you talk to any patients who are receiving these injections, they'll tell you it, it's, it was certainly nerve wracking, the first or second injections, but after a while they got used to it. And this is not something to be feared. The issue, however, is that macular degeneration is a chronic disease. This may require therapy for extended periods of time. And our injections currently last anywhere from one month to probably maximum about three months. 
So that means at a minimum, you're probably getting treated four times a year with some of our longer acting drugs. The problem with many patients in terms of long-term visual acuity is under treatment. So for whatever reason, they didn't want to come in for their injections. One of the things we really are working on in terms of our research is trying to come up with ways to get drugs that last a longer period of time because that would allow us to have similar visual outcomes with our anti-VEGF agents, but reduce the frequency of injections. So we're looking at different types of drugs that can extend that treatment interval. That's number one. Number two, VEGF is only one of many pathways that are involved in wet macular degeneration. So we are looking at blocking other pathways that can hopefully improve the outcomes over just blocking the VEGF pathway. And then finally, we're looking at two very exciting avenues. One is to do a surgical device that we implant inside the eye surgically, but then this device can be refilled in the office. And just like we would give you an injection in the office, this would be done after numbing the eye. But the nice thing about this device is it really only needs to be refilled, we think, at about six-month intervals, so maybe requiring only two refills a year. More into the future, we're looking at the use of gene therapy. So this would be either an injection or a surgical procedure to use gene therapy to produce anti-VEGF agent within the eye. And theoretically, that one therapy could be all we may need to treat patients with wet macular degeneration. Now, I want to caution patients and families who are listening to this broadcast that these are all in clinical studies. These are not yet available uh, outside of a clinical trial. And that's important to understand that we are working on it but they are not yet approved by the United States FDA. So Peter, I think that's important because you have been um, actively involved in sort of third generation anti-VEGFs. And one of those um, agents that was approved by the FDA, the, the focus on that initially was that it had the ability to have an extended duration of control and maybe more control than we had achieved with prior anti-VEGF agents. But when we started to use that more broadly, we saw some issues related to that, that new anti-VEGF. Do you have any comments about as we develop these longer acting, potentially stronger focused anti-VEGFs that we may actually see more associated issues with the drugs themselves? I think you bring up an important point, Dr. Murray. You know, the United States FDA looks at data from phase three clinical testing. But when the drug is approved, at like the drug, for instance, that you're describing, this drug uh, allowed a longer treatment interval than what we currently have. It, it dried the retina better than what we currently have. So we were all very excited about the drug, but understand that a clinical study that we use for uh, the drug to be approved is only a certain number of patients. When we put it out into the general population, we go from thousands of patients treated in a clinical trial to hundreds of thousands of patients treated worldwide. And when we started to use this drug more frequently in larger populations of patients, a very rare but serious side effect started to appear. So the American Society of Retina Specialists Rest Committee was able to find that patients rarely developed a complication that has now since been looked at much more closely by the company that's developed the drug. The importance of this finding is that after any drug is approved, 
we're going to look at them very, very carefully to see if there's some rare side effects that didn't come out of clinical trials. Obviously, while we're doing clinical trials, we also look very carefully for any of these adverse events, and we report these to the FDA to see if any of these drugs get approved. But when we're in clinical studies, we look for everything. Uh, even just you know, getting a sniffly nose will be reported to the FDA. And if it occurs in enough patients, it will be put onto the label, which is included in any drug that you may receive. So we're looking closely always for any of these adverse events. So that brings up the point too, is that you know, we are all very interested in having our patients empowered enough to ask not just about what is, what is the disease that I have and what is the stage of the disease, but very, very strong discussions about how am I going to be treated? Because we really try to personalize or individualize, I think, our therapies for each of the patients that we manage. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of unique about the, the field of retina in particular within ophthalmology. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's important for patients to understand that in the clinical studies, the design of the clinical study is to get a drug approved. It may not be the best way to deliver the drug. It's what is decided for the clinical studies. A good case in point is several of our drugs that are approved for macular degeneration. In the clinical studies, we're actually used at monthly intervals for two years. Um, and obviously, that is a got a great result in a clinical study, but that's a in, we're incapable of delivering monthly injections uh, for a patient's lifetime. And what we've learned since then is, well, it's really not required to treat the patients monthly. Many patients actually do require monthly treatments, but many patients don't. Uh, and if you're in that category who don't need it, obviously you wouldn't want extra injections in your eye. And so because of that, we've developed certain algorithms which rely on our imaging of your eye to decide what's best for you, what treatment interval is best for whatever particular person, and maybe actually different between their two eyes, for instance. So that's where the experience of a retina specialist really comes into play to allow us to interpret these imaging studies to decide what is best for you in terms of treating the macular degeneration. And this is very important because we don't wanna undertreat you. We also don't want to overtreat you. These are expensive drugs uh, and any injection carries some risk and we wanna minimize that risk as much as possible. So we've really focused mostly on, on targeting vascular endothelial growth factor with these anti-VEGFs. Can you give us the two other pathways that you think may be most critical in supplementing anti-VEGF therapy or looking at alternative treatments and why you think they might be important for our patients? Sure. The, the pathway that's getting the most looking at right now is called the TIE2 pathway. Now, TIE2 pathway is an interesting pathway. So when TIE2 is activated on vascular cells and vascular beds, it basically makes that vascular bed healthy. It's not leaking, there's no inflammation, there's no new blood vessel growth. So you want TIE2 to be activated. And in the setting of macular degeneration, one of the, the uh, proteins that activates TIE2 is called angiopoietin-2. And ang 2 inactivates TIE2, leading to leakage of the blood vessels, leading to increased inflammation, and leading to new blood vessel growth. So what we're trying to develop are blockers of angiopoietin-2. 
And there are several companies looking at this. In fact, there are several companies looking at both blocking angiopoietin-2 and VEGF with the same molecule. In fact, we have positive phase three in diseases outside of macular degeneration. We hope to have positive results in macular degeneration shortly with these dual blockers, because maybe if we block two of these pathways, number one, we'll have longer durability, uh, but more importantly, maybe we'll have better visual outcomes because currently all our anti-VEGF, the visual outcomes are essentially the same. The difference between them really comes down to how long they last. I think that's fascinating for us is that, you know, we went from a time where we had no real treatment for wet macular degeneration to now having multiple drugs that are in fact incredibly effective. But I think that we're really driving the field forward, not so much focused on making the drug necessarily better in terms of what it does when we deliver it, but really allowing it to have that durability so the patient may be treated less often or to target other pathways within, within that cascade of wet macular degeneration that may limit, for example, some of the atrophic changes or fibrotic alterations. So I think that's kind of exciting. So where do you see us moving forward? And for our patients, since these aren't really clinically available to patients yet, how do they learn about this? Are there ways, ways that they can participate and, and move this field forward? Um, how, what do you counsel your patients about? So I think, first of all, it, it's important to see your retina specialist relatively frequently. Now, obviously, if you have wet macular degeneration, you'll be coming in for your injections. So you'll see them when you, when you come in. But even when you have dry macular degeneration, stay on top of what the latest clinical trials are. Your retina specialist in general will be a member of the American Society of Retina Specialists. And that society works very hard to educate retina specialists worldwide as to these new treatments. And anytime a new study comes out or a new finding comes out, the membership will learn this and they'll be able to tell you about those new findings. Now, if you are interested in clinical studies, your retina specialist can help you either get into it at their own site, or if they're not participating in that study, they can counsel you uh, at different sites within your community that you may be able to go to to be a member of this clinical trial. But I want people to understand that macular degeneration is not a death sentence. We have excellent therapies for macular degeneration, and it's really important just to be proactive yourself. So if you're not getting the answers you'd like, the American Society of Retina Specialists has an excellent website you can go to to get more information. The American Academy of Ophthalmology also has excellent information. And be proactive. There are support groups and other people just like you out there who are really able and willing to give you advice. I think I think one of the things that we're pushing um, with with this, um, Dr. Kaiser, is is disseminating that information to our patients directly, but also allowing them to understand what are the opportunities for them, you know, to acquire other information. So, the ASRS, when it comes to retinal diseases, I think is outstanding. The National Eye Institute, and you have access to those through our webpage. And then one of the things we focused on too is that we keep talking about how important finding the right retina specialist is. And for most people, that really means finding a retina specialist that has the kind of training and abilities to take care of you. And that's one of the things that we really focus on with the ASRS. 
So for, for our patients, you know, it's, it, it seems like we've come so far in, in literally less than two decades, but it sounds like it's an incredibly exciting next 10 years really to help our patients, both by helping them to see better, but also maybe to keep them seeing better without seeing so much of their retina specialist. Well, as much as I like to see my patients once a month, and I, and I got to admit, it, it's really nice to, to learn about them and, and to be part of their lives. Uh, it certainly would be much nicer if they didn't have to come in to see us that frequently and have uh, the visual results that we hope to give them. So I agree with you fully. The less injections we have to give, but continuing to have the excellent visual results is really our priority for all these clinical studies we're looking at. And it's been fun too, because with some of these podcasts, we've touched on a lot of things that we've kind of indirectly dealt with. The imaging of the retina that we do today is phenomenal and the ability in the future potentially to do some of that imaging by, by the patient themselves in their own home. I, I think we've come so far. You touched on some of the genetics of macular degeneration and the understanding of the pathways. Those are all things that contribute to help identify which patient is at risk and how best to treat that patient. But I, I do think the most important thing that, that you've really left, hopefully our families, um, our siblings, our children, our parents with is that with really good care, this isn't the blinding disease that it was for their grandparents. I think that's one of the things that I try so hard to convey every day in my clinic talking to patients that I'm treating is, we have come a long way and we're gonna go a long way further in the next few years. So Peter, thank you very much. This is Dr. Peter Kaiser from the Coli Institute at the Cleveland Clinic, a leading expert on macular degeneration and both a colleague and a friend. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Dr. Murray. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for tuning in to Redna Health for Life from the President's Corner. You can watch and listen to more episodes on the ASRS YouTube channel and on popular podcast directories, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. For even more information about safeguarding your vision for a lifetime, visit asrs.org patients and follow ASRS on both Facebook and Twitter. Retina Health for Life is made possible in part through generous support from the Foundation of the American Society of Retina Specialists, Allergan, Genentech, Novartis, and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. See you soon.